Welcome to Every Business Counts, the podcast which shows how money and numbers can support you to build a sustainable business. My name is Lynn Mann and I'm an accountant and a coach with over 20 years experience. In each episode, I will be exploring how money and your business numbers can help amplify the impact you want to make by focusing on purpose and profit. Because every business counts. Hello and welcome to another episode of Every Business Counts. My name's Lynn Mann and today I have with me Louise Wilson. Louise is co-founder and managing director of Invundance Investment, an ethical investment company which was founded on the principle of democratic finance, helping everyone to mobilize their money for good by investing directly in businesses and councils who are looking to make a real positive impact in the world. You can find out more about Abundance Investment and what they do at AbundanceInvestment.com. So welcome and thank you for being here with me today, Louise. I'm really looking forward to hearing your insights. Thanks, Lynn. No, it's great to be here and um, thanks for the opportunity to share them. You're welcome. So I'd like to ask you, first of all, what led you to question how traditional finance markets work? And what inspired you to look for an alternative solution? So um, my um, my background before doing this was mainstream investment banking. Um, and I worked on the trading floor, although I sat as a bridge between the kind of market-based practitioners looking at equity markets and colleagues in corporate finance who were helping their clients raise capital. Um, and um, And it was... It was challenging and very interesting when I first started there a long time ago. Um, and then we won't count the years. Um, and then progressively, um, as we moved forward through those years, I found, um, that I felt that increasingly the service of financial services had dropped out of the equation and it was just about the finance piece and finance as the end in itself rather than the yeah. means to an end. Um, and I guess you could say that the financial crisis was very much the in-your-face evidence of that. Yeah. Um, plus, it was also an accident, which grossly understates what actually happened, um, waiting to happen um, as a whole sector kind of collectively stopped asking the really obvious questions. And it didn't make sense to me the run up to that. It, 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 I couldn't understand how more value was being created just by increasingly injecting debt into the system. Right. Um, but I, I kind of took the view that there were a lot of people who were smarter than me around me and they must know what they were doing. Um, and I suppose having witnessed that and also the dot com bubble, when it, um, when both of those burst, um, I looked again at my own doubts about it and went, well, actually, I wasn't wrong and it didn't make mm. sense. And there was just this sort of blind, um, almost like a willful ignorance to actually what was really going on. And the other thing that um, was also happening from my own perspective is a growing awareness of our kind of pal- planetary constraints and the fact that we just seem to also be ignoring the, the, the growing evidence that we are outgrowing our planet. Mm. Um, 
And so those two things, I guess, uh, combined together to make me sort of no longer respect the industry that I worked for um, and therefore that I really wanted to step outside of it um, and uh, and think about ways to make it easy for people in our really busy, pressured lives um, with all of the things that we have to do to kind of make it easy to address this um, this economic equation that doesn't stack up yeah. um, that we can't keep having perpetual growth um, and without avoiding you know, catastrophic climate change in the, um, in the phrase used by the IPCC. Yeah, and you raised some really interesting points there in almost that with the, the traditional finance markets, what you saw was actually people were they were putting growth first. They were choosing to ignore actually what was going on so that they could almost meet their own targets and uh, create that growth. And I guess if we, you know, going back to, as you say, the constraints um, on the the world, if we look at elsewhere in nature, nothing keeps growing like that. There's always a limit as to the, to the growth. So I think that's a really interesting way to look at it in that we can't keep growing but and we can't keep adding debt, as you say, to keep fueling the growth, um, which, again, I guess is interesting with the times we're in right now um, with the, the coronavirus and mm-hmm. what will happen with the constant addition of debt to the economy. Yeah. Um, so I, I love how you... T- actually went and trusted yourself when you reflected on it and said actually I was right and I'm going to find something out a a different way of doing this um and I think you've touched on what I wanted to kind of look at next because for me my background's accountancy and, and what I saw in business was that often it was that push for constant profit constant growth as you say um and my feeling has always been that this is driven very much short-term decision-making. Yeah. So let's come back to the short-term decision-making, um, but maybe just to, you know, to pick up a little bit on, on some of my comments from, from our, our previous, you know, previous mm. question. What we've done, you know, we've created this enormous universe of legislation and rules and practices which protect money and investments. And we've done all of that for good reason, but actually we've allowed it to become more important over and above um, the things that really matter to us. Um, You know, and you can, you know, the, the Robert Kennedy quote around, we value everything except that which we hold do, which I paraphrased, but it's it is a, a really really good way to kind of summarise the issue that we've got. You know, in in accounting terms, it's GDP. Yeah. We've made that the most important thing in the world of finance and investment. We've made it that the most important thing is that we protect people's money, rather than actually protecting what the things that underlie what money is supposed to do, whether that is nature or family or health. Um, and that's got completely out of sync. Um, and although there is a much greater growing awareness of the need to change that, we're still kind of couching it in a set of rules that looks backwards 
And we really need to change those rules much, much more quickly if we're going to kind of deliver this change rapidly enough. Um, so that, I think, bridges, you know, the, the, the issue around the short-termist nature of finance. Actually, I'm not, I think the short-termist nature of finance is an issue, but actually I think it's, a, it's only, it, it doesn't go deep enough. The bigger problem is that we have built a system of finance and a system of rules and regulations around it and a system of economic accounting and relative value all based around money. And that's actually where we need a fundamental change to build those systems, to rebuild those systems around the things that really matter. Okay. So... What what I could see was when you were describing that almost was that we've built the system, as you said, protecting money, protecting investors and people that have the money and putting it in. But it's almost it's sitting on top of what's important is underneath and it's the value and what's important to each one of us is, is sitting underneath that and that is getting eroded in a way because of mm. this um this emphasis on having to protect money yeah but also I, I think what was interesting is that you um highlighted that we need to change these these rules and regulations quickly yet it's a system that's been built over hundreds of years so how feasible do you think that is and and what can be done Mm. Um, to actually start to to change that and start to move um, people's attitudes in a way. Yeah, so so I think we are at an incredibly powerful moment in time. Um, and there's a few things that lie behind that. First of all, you know, during 2018, 2019, and I think reinforced by the pandemic, we've had an absolute sea change in the developed world anyway, but not just the developed world, around climate awareness and the emergency that's coming down the track. Um, and, you know, the crisis that um, we know is going to hit, but which we're woefully underprepared for. I mean, you might say, well, is that the pandemic or the climate emergency I'm talking about? The pandemic, they're both relevant. The pandemic is kind of serving to remind us that there's a bigger one coming and we're really underprepared for that one. So there is a, a, an absolute sea change, um, step change, all of those, you know, in terms of, of people's realisation that this is not tomorrow's problem. Yeah. This is not future generations problem. This is our current generation and our children's generation's problem. Um, so that's number one. Um, the second thing is that that is now really beginning, and that's at an individual level, but it's now yeah. really beginning to feed through into every other kind of section, sector of society, be it politics, business, religion. Um, there'll be some others that I could mention, you know, that I, that, um, that would just keep reinforcing this point that we know there is this problem coming and we all need to kind of group together to make it change. Yeah. And when it comes to finance, um, it's kind of 
couched as finance always does in a rather crass three-letter acronym being ESG, Environmental Society, um, Society and Governance Investing. Um, you know, that that is the biggest trend in investment at the moment, which makes it therefore the biggest trend in investment ever in history, just because of the volumes of, of money that are out there. Um, but there's also, you know, what, what we're trying to do is kind of, if you like, a grassroots change you know what what abundance exists to do is to show that there is a way to put profit and purpose back together again by leading by example so you know we've done now we've funded or our customers actually crucially have funded over 40 projects they've raised over 100 million pounds that's a drop on the drop on the drop in the ocean in terms of what needs to happen but it's really significant because it's shown it can be done yeah um and digital the digitalization of finance allows that to happen um and um it allows it kind of brings home the point to people that their money is is by definition what they choose to do with it is by definition political and it's a vote for what they want equally if they don't put it to use into things that they want it's it's um it's a handbrake on that on that progress um, and there are, you know, so there are businesses like ours and there aren't enough of us, but there are businesses like ours and investment um, outfits who are trying to kind of demonstrate, make that point. And then you've also got um, campaigns like um, Richard Curtis is the, the director of films like Notting Hill and other many well-loved favourites, um, who's now creating a campaign called Make My Money Matter, which from our perspective has been really helpful because um, they've said that actually, in terms of the things that you can do, you're you're making noise or kind of asking questions about your money or what you do with your money is 27 times more effective, very precise but very powerful. Yeah. Um, than anything else you might choose to do when it comes to making progress towards um, climate emergency, addressing the climate emergency. Wow. So. Um. Uh. If we can have lots of people who are making that call for what's my money doing? And I want my money to do things that help people and planet. And I definitely don't want it to harm people and planet. That consumer vote with your pound is immensely powerful. And if we can get that message across to people, um, which is what we're trying to do in our small way, then I think ultimately money is ours. It doesn't belong to the institutions. It's not the banks. It's not governments. It's individuals. And if we start saying what we want our money to do, we can make this system change very fast. What I really like there is how you focused that on actually it's a choice and it's a choice at the at grassroots. Mm-hmm. So by increasing the increasing awareness that's been going on with, with individuals, it's realizing that actually it has our money and we can make it work. If I think of um, myself, you know, it's been putting money, say, away for a pension. And Mm. it's always in the past, the thought has been, you're just handing your money over to somebody and they'll take care of it. But actually what you're saying here, which is, is really powerful, is that the key thing is we have that choice as to where to invest our money and we can use it um, to to really um, help 
our planet to help bring back that that purpose in our money mm. and to help other businesses and to grow yeah i think that's i well yes it's, it is it's all of that um but actually it's more than that it's also to change the system of money to serve the needs of society yeah. rather than society serving the needs of money which is sort of feels like where we've got to um and 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 which i firmly believe is a, is one of the biggest contributors to the fact we've ended up in this situation we've ended up in a climate emergency because we've put that above everything else it's not the only factor but i think it's quite a big one yeah great um, yeah so going back to what what you do and and how abundance is is really helping in this process one of the things you talk about is democratic finance. Do you want to talk a bit more about that? Because I think you've touched on it, but we'd really um, mm. love to know more. Yeah. So, so in in today's context, I think you know what we what we think democratic finance means um, is is actually giving as many people as possible the ability to have a voice through their money, right? By the things they choose to invest in. And then taking that to the next step by actually asking anybody else who is is um, is managing their money to also think about what it's invested in, you know, with the kind of underlying threat that if I don't like what you're investing in, if that's not consistent with the things that are that matter to me, I can move it somewhere else. That's not always easy. So with your pension, for example, it's not. But um, uh, you've mentioned that. And that's obviously a you know a, a big. Um, a big proportion of overall um, individuals in the UK, you know, where their their savings and investments are. But you absolutely, and if lots of people start asking that question, then you know that's going to that's going to begin to move the needle. So, so democratic finance for us is is about um, access, and access means um, that it's it's easy for me to do. And obviously, yeah. technology has been a great enabler. So from an abundance perspective, our minimum investment is five pounds, which when we wow. got going, yeah, when we got going and we told some people from mainstream finance that that was going to be the minimum, they kind of, you know, their eyes came out in the stalks and they went, how will you ever make money doing that? But actually, the platform that we've built makes it very possible um, to, to, to make a successful business um, from small amounts of money. Now, actually, the point about five pounds is not because people invest five pounds and they don't invest more, but it is it is a door opener. It says yeah. we're relevant to you. You don't need to have thousands and thousands of pounds, which actually finance has become quite exclusive as well. Mm. So it's about access, which is the amount of money that you have. Um, it's also about the way that we speak. You know that we don't, we, or as far as possible. We try not to have lots of kind of jargon and yeah. acronyms, <laughs> um, but to actually talk about money and investments in the way that, you know, as a conversation, um, uh, rather than kind of the world of finance that tends to, you know, use big words and, and immediately puts up barriers. Yeah. Um, so it's about access. It's about transparency and um, that you can see exactly what your money is doing. Um, and therefore, you know, it, it may not be a perfect, but you know, you know, you know, the imperfections is alongside the things that are perfect. And this transition from brown to green is not going to happen in a series of clean, perfectly formed steps. We're going to have to accept along the way that we need to do some things that we're not quite sure whether it's the right way to get there. 
Um, but we can't do nothing. We must try. But if it's transparent, at least I know. Um, whereas most money, you know, the world of investments has become very difficult for people to really understand where their money is through all the layers of intermediation. Um, so that transparency, um, accessibility and um, uh, and that it's kind of as simple to use as possible. It's one of the other things that we strive for, which is part of the accessibility point. Yeah. And and I think that's really important because, you know, if you think, as you highlighted a lot of people have been put off by um, things investing because it seems complex. They don't understand it. They maybe try it themselves and lose money, mm. and and therefore the the kind of the barriers do go up. And and it there is kind of almost this, I guess, mysticism about it. It's it's for these people that are really intelligent and know what they're doing. Whereas mm. what you're saying is actually. It's taking it back to what you highlighted before. It's a choice. It's your money. Where do you want your money to be? Um, the, where do you want your money to be going? Where do you want it? Who do you want it to be helping? But also making it easy, you know, for people to say, actually, I could put aside, say, you know, as little as five pounds and it can help mm. um, and support, be supportive of my values yeah. um, is great. And one of the th- questions that I kind of, came up while I was you were talking about that going back to because people have these fears about investing their money and um maybe deciding on what's the right investment how do they how do you help them choose or how what information is there to help them actually make the investment yeah so there's a there's a couple of um there's a couple of comments I'd make around that there's there's the one around the confidence of investors mm. and and you're right you know a lot of people don't feel confident about investing because it feels complicated and yeah full of stuff and and also there's a, you you made that point as well there's a fear of losing money mm. um and that's one of the things that we always need to highlight for people you know investments are not guarantees yeah but i'm i'm you know and we hear there's a lot of kind of throwaway comments around retail investors not understanding things I'm always um, pleased to have my kind of impression about retail investors corroborated by the kind of questions that our customers put around investments when they don't quite understand it or conversations around a position, um, an overall situation that that might affect an investment. Because I think um, actually people do get it um, and they do understand um, uh, uh, and the issue is more that you know the world is is a um is an unpredictable place yeah um so you know you might get it wrong but that doesn't mean that you were wrong and i think generally um you know if you if you present an investment in a clear um easy to understand way and you don't fill it with acronyms and jargon people get it okay um they might sometimes make decisions which you know they subsequently regret but but i don't think it's from a lack of understanding so that would be the first comment that i make i think people don't give themselves enough credit for understanding things um and then you asked what do we do to try and help well i've mentioned you know i've I've reiterated this point about trying to kind of be much more conversational in the way that we explain things to people because that's um that's how that that is how we understand things when we when we um exchange 
communications and things with with people on a one to one level. Um, and then um, and then again, back to that kind of the power of, of the digital world is that you've got a lot of ways to bring investments to life and to also provide additional information around how you can help people understand that investment within their overall wider world of investment and their overall the overall wider world of what's going on. So through the the, um, the platform, there'll always be some additional content um, around how investments, how the world of investments work, how the platform itself works, what are the type of risks that you need to consider, and then the content that is specific to a particular investment that's on the platform. Because overall, ultimately, what we're trying to do is without bombarding people with too much information, you know, they're making the decision on what to invest in. Yeah. We're trying to give them the tools and the information to feel like they've made an informed decision about both the positives and potential downsides of, of what they're doing or what their money will do. Yeah. And I I think that's um, a really important thing that because you've you've mentioned a number of times that it's not about the jargon it's not it's removing that removing the acronyms and having that conversation and almost what you're saying is actually by by having the conversation by putting things in a straightforward way people real it, it boosts their confidence in making the decisions and when they know where their money's going they feel more confident and more willing in a way to mm. actually invest their money in projects that really matter to them yeah well i think it was a comment that you made in um when you were speaking previously that you know made me think i must make this point around you know what is it that why do we think there is you know why do we think our potential to kind of move the needle is much greater than you know 100 million raised um suggests first of all we think that that number can grow rapidly from here because of a very changed this very changed backdrop which we talked about but also um, one of the words that we use um, on the website and that we use when we talk about ourselves and what we're doing is we call it mobilizing money for good. So, so it, it, and yes, it is mobilizing money, but actually it's mobilizing more than money because one of the things that we know about climate emergency is that people feel quite helpless and quite paralyzed in the sort of face of the scale of the issue. Um, and one of the things that we know is we we do know that we're part of the problem. And they, you know, um, Bayes, one of the government departments, you know, does a, a quarterly survey on that. And um, when they last asked that question, I think it was eighty percent of people think that we are part of the problem. But as soon as you give them um, through just a five pound investment the opportunity to help a business or some other kind of initiative do something about it then you've become part of the solution. Yeah. And that totally changes your relationship to the problem in a positive, galvanizing way. So yes, through that, we know that we're mobilizing your money for good, but actually we know that we can also be mobilizing you to think then about what it is that you might do over and above that, because all of a sudden you're no longer kind of building, feeling guilty about it. You're seeing that there's a route to try and help make this go forward and whether that's you know petitioning your mp or cycling more or asking where your pension's invested actually all of a sudden i i'm i'm i i can see that i have i can be a positive part of this transition that's hugely powerful and it wasn't something 
I was expecting you to a route you were expecting to go down, but by, by simply by saying actually by um, having made that decision to to invest something in um, a project that is supporting this move to a, a greener climate and being part of the solution. So when you were initially talking, what I was thinking was actually what you're help also helping people do is take a bit of control mm. so that they don't feel as helpless. And our minds always love being in control. So you're helping us do that. But what you where you took it to was actually by doing this, what you're helping people do is expand their own awareness. Well, what else can I do? You know, I, mm. I've taken mm. this one step. What other steps can I do? How else can I make a difference? Um, which is truly powerful and really, um, you know, for an individual that can make a huge difference in the way that they look at their life and, and what they do. Yeah. Um, we had right um, from very early on the, um, the sort of medium term hope that we would already begin to see how just by making an investment would, would affect people's thinking um mm. but we 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 saw it as a kind of medium term outcome but actually it was for a lot of people an immediate outcome wow so um so we found that just after a single investment um almost a fifth of our customers said that they thought about their energy consumption differently so that's that's, that's fantastic yeah. yeah so so now where we um where we want to see this go is is by giving lots of people access to this. And we've got um, a product that we've launched recently working with local authorities, which means that we can get in front of thousands and thousands of people that um, that we can create that dynamic, if you like, for lack of a better word, with um, with lots and lots of people um, and, and in so doing help local authorities fund their climate emergency plans with their citizens um, and to create a kind of virtuous circle between where the money comes from, what it does, um, the, and the people who um, who benefit from the investment, both in terms of what they see within their community, yeah. but also um, help their community go that much further by taking additional steps on the back of it. So going back to there, it's it's you know you talked about earlier, it's, it's grassroots, but actually what you're doing, it's very much. Um, with with bringing the councils in it's very much community based and again giving um the communities almost a say in in how things are funded in in what's done you know because again it's um projects will be funded if the communities agree with the projects mm-hmm. um so it's a it's a great interaction to, to have because and and I guess it, the um going back to even whether it is investing within a business or investing within the council you're actually in with it, investing in something that in a way is more about telling a story you can actually see more of that story because when you're talking about bringing in the transparency than just investing in a blanket fund mm. yeah completely so so um, we've been working with local authorities um, over the last couple of years, um, although the, the kind of product has been in the making, if you like, for the last four, even five years. 
Um, one of the challenges that local authorities have is that it's it's difficult for them to to really engage with their citizens because actually we're all frantically busy just you know trying to put food on the table, get the kids to school, you know, get the job done, and and uh, you know a number of other pressures that we're all yeah. faced with in our daily lives, um, and yet they are very much out in front. Um, in terms of addressing climate emergency, two thirds of them declared an emergency before the national government did and before net zero 2050 legislation came in. And that's the legislation that came in in June 2019 that says, you know, by 2050, the UK expects to have a net zero carbon emissions. So they're, they're already well out in front. Um, uh, and, um, Yet they also know that it's 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 hard, like I say, to get their citizens to give them a full understanding of what's happening. Um, but they totally see that actually, if you can source funding from your citizens, mm-hmm. which is not so alien a concept as it might seem, because actually that used to happen not that long ago. Um, but um, but it kind of went all it all got centralized into central government. Um, if you can raise money from your residents, actually, that becomes the platform to to catch their attention yeah. um, and help them understand in a lot more detail what it is they are doing. Um, and then um, and then once they've done that, then, yes, they could probably or one of the likely outcomes is that certainly some of them will be much more vocal about what they'd like to see happen, whether those are good suggestions or not. But it's much, much more powerful, powerful from the local authorities perspective. Um, for people to to you know carve out some time in their busy diaries to 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 pay attention to what's going on because they've got a financial stake in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's very true. And you know what you've highlighted here because is is really some opportunities that that are there for the local authorities, but also there for the individuals um, and the citizens within there to to get more connected almost with what's going on in the the local um, environment. Just looking at um, businesses, because, again, going back to mm-hmm. what you said earlier about it, it's actually um, raising money for, for good mm-hmm. and mobilizing the money for good and creating that link between purpose and profit. Mm. So what are the type of businesses that um, pro- business projects that you're you're funding yeah. and people have the opportunity to fund? So a lot of what we've funded to date has been renewable energy generation, both mm-hmm. electricity and heat. Um, and uh, but then uh, we've also funded quite a lot of and some of those you know very established technologies like wind and solar. Um, then we've funded some newer technologies, and we think that's really important. We need to bring more of these technologies forward. So tidal energy, um, geothermal, um, pumps, well, pump storage hydro is not new, but um, but actually it's a great enabler of other renewables. Um, and then we've also looked at some other um, what we call transition. So back to the comments I made before about the fact that actually as we transition from brown to green, um, there's going to be some difficult decisions to, to take along the way um, when we try to find lower carbon ways of doing things. So within transition um, would be some circular economy type of opportunities. Okay. So mm-hmm. taking waste and doing other things with waste, whether it's 
breaking it down and, and creating new products that you can use out of that or creating energy from it. Um, and then we have um, more recently been funding social housing, um, which is becoming increasingly green in the way that it's built. Um, and that addresses a couple of key problems are, you know, total dire shortage of, of social housing. And we found a model that means, you know, most social housing models, it's a kind of commercially based model that then um, sets aside a proportion, a small percentage that would go to social housing, whereas this is 100% social housing, but also building green measures in. So from our perspective, actually, it's about finding more and more a growing um, range of businesses that are providing the green and social infrastructure that we need for our low carbon economy. Okay. And what's what's really interesting there is is how you've you've had that expansion from mm. um just being the renewable energies, but mm. but even in, in what you're talking about there and going back to um getting people thinking, you know, by bringing in things like the, the circular economy projects mm. and mm. things, actually that helps to to get you thinking about actually how resourceful am I being at home, for example. But, yeah, yeah. but, but yeah, <laughs> that absolutely. was just a prop. But yeah. Um but it's it's really interesting how um when you're talking it's like there's it real there is really is a whole additional economy yeah. that is evolving that um well there's um, there is an enormous amount of investment that's required to take us you know to, to take us on that journey that transition mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, the numbers are billions and even trillions. Um, and that in itself, you know, everyone kind of focuses on the cost of us doing the transition, but actually the cost is also an enormous opportunity. Mm. And actually that narrative is now being kind of widely understood and there seems to be quite a lot of consensus between politicians, economists, policymakers, um, around academics, around the fact that if we're going to build back better, we have to build back greener. And actually yeah. building back greener can also, you know, increase and improve the um, the sort of economic upside out of that. So um, so that's really encouraging. Um, and from, from our perspective, you know, if we've been funding smaller projects now that need somewhere between three and seven million pounds and giving returns of people between four and seven or eight percent and in some higher risk ones a bit more than that that actually we really want to start um sharing much more you know the opportunity to invest in much bigger infrastructure projects that are going to be required for this transition with a much much wider universe of investors so so i suppose the message behind that is this this cost of transitioning to a green economy is also a huge economic opportunity. Yeah. And actually, you know, sharing that economic opportunity with as many people as possible will have a lot of very, very positive outcomes for all of the different stakeholders, politicians and policymakers, the project sponsors, whoever may they may be, they may be private sector or public sector sponsors. Sponsor means, I suppose, the, the, the entity that's bringing the project to um that is driving the project forward um, and then to where the money comes from and the people ultimately that lie behind it. And then you create a much more kind of, you know, back to my virtuous circle, you create a much more um, healthy balance then between where the money comes from and what it's being used for. Yeah. Um, I, I use the expression community of users. If your community of users is invested in that infrastructure, whether it is a 
big recycling plant or whether it is a, a bridge which is going to kind of massively reduce journey times, um, whether it's building a 5G network in our kind of, you know, increasingly digital Zoom based world, um, but also which means that we don't have to travel so much. Um, yeah. you know, that all of those, all of that infrastructure for that low carbon future um, is an, not only an interesting, but a profitable and tangible investment for individuals to be part of. Yeah. And there is plenty of capital and investment money out there, notwithstanding the fact that, you know, everybody will be tightening their belts right now. We've still got a long way to see what the fallout is from the pandemic. So what you've really highlighted is how um, these, the the projects, the the opportunities that were um, fa- faced with, for want of a better word, will actually benefit us. But it, it starts to create um, a story um, in that we're creating this new economy, but we're creating, um, we're bringing people into this through connecting them to to the projects that are going on through, as you talked about very all the way through, it's about communication. It's about helping people understand and connect. And a lot of that is done through, through story, through understanding. We also talked about um, before whether people's beliefs and child, the experiences they've had have held them back. And actually what you found is that Actually, once you explain to things to people in an easy way, that you're finding that they will take that step and will invest and realize that they actually know a lot more than they give themselves credit for. So I just want to ask you one last question here. And it's about how are the, ex- the experiences that you've had or the stories you learned as a child influenced how you look at money? Yes. Yeah, so. Yeah, looking back at my childhood, I guess there was one thing which from an, from as early as I can remember, I always had a problem with the stuff that we threw away that came with the stuff that we really wanted. So whether it was wrapping or, you know, that there was all of this extra stuff that was perfectly good, but just got chucked out. And and it, it used to actually quite upset me, uh, but I didn't know how to resolve it. And obviously, being a child, I thought that the people in charge would have that covered. How wrong I was. Um, and then in terms of of money, you know, we didn't have a lot of it. This is not at all meant to sound like a sob story, but um, but certainly that was back in the days of of gas meters and. And we 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 kind of any fifty p that arrived, you'd you'd hang on to it, um, and and store it away because otherwise, you know, you would run out. And we counted all of the pennies very carefully, but but were not unhappy at all. Um, so I had, I suppose, you know, in some ways, the kind of classic tension that growing up, I wanted to end up in a place where I didn't have to count all those pennies, and that I would be able to take away the worry of money for my parents. Um, and then it's a dangerous thing, you know, because actually how much is enough? Yeah. Yeah. 
So, you know, and, and we are, you know, assaulted all day long with how, you know, having that gadget over there or that piece of clothing or that holiday, we deserve it and it'll make us feel better. And so, you know, and there is no denying that actually, if you've got more money, it can make life easier. Yeah. So it can make life, life easier, not necessarily happier. And where is that? How much is enough? Yeah. So I am very, very aware of the tension between those those kind of competing forces. Um, and I suppose it, you know, I reflect on that quite a lot, quite regularly, which is also partly why, you know, we never separated profit and purpose. It for us, abundance has always been about being able to make a good return whilst doing something positive for people and planet. Um, and that we think is, is absolutely fundamental. Um, if we are to change finance for a more sustainable, better balanced, healthier future that funds what society values yeah. rather than the other way around. That's, it's really beautiful. And it's almost like from what I, love going right back to when you were a child was that awareness of waste and the awareness that actually this is um why are we doing this but then what you highlighted was you trusted the adults to sort it and it's then that kind of as you grow up realizing actually I need to take responsibility and do something about this myself I am the adult. Now. Yes, yeah. And you've brought it but by bringing everything together. So you're giving now giving people the opportunity to um to do something positive to actually make their money work for them and to work for um the planet as a whole by by giving them that potential and that opportunity which previously they didn't necessarily get um and i think it's a lovely way to you know that you've brought it all together and drawing on your experiences and what's happened in your life so thank you for sharing that and thank you very much for um being here and and all your insights um it's what i've really really enjoyed is how you've actually taken everything much deeper how you've highlighted that there's always a layer underneath it's never quite um just that surface point um and i think it's it's really it's really helped me and i'm sure it'll help many other people so thank you my pleasure again thank you for for having me on you're welcome thanks for listening to this episode of every business counts if you've enjoyed this episode, why not head over to our Facebook group, Every Business Counts, and share what you've enjoyed and your highlights. I look forward to sharing more with you next week. Bye for now.